The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. And welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education, and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. Uh, This is Mary Woods, and I'd like to welcome you all back for 2010. We're really excited about this year. We have some amazing guests that are going to be here for your enjoyment and hopefully um, to educate you a bit as well. Um, Today we're going to do something that I hope is very uh, thought-provoking and stimulating, and hopefully it might encourage a few of you to call in and share with us your perception of our discussion today, and um, we're uh, we're very lucky to have uh, Dr. Mark Green, who is the medical director for Westbridge um, Incorporated, which is a private nonprofit organization that treats individuals and families who experience co-occurring major mental illness and substance use disorders. And um, rather than to try to share with all of you Mark's accomplishments, I'm going to let Mark kind of begin by sharing with us his journey and how he ended up um, crossing the pond. So um, welcome, Mark. And can you begin by just sharing with our audience um, how you you landed over here in the colonies? Sure, sure. um, So I was trained in England, in London, and did my medical school training there and was an internist there for a couple of years working in HIV and oncology, but always knew I was destined for psychiatry. And over there, we have a very community health perspective. So instead of having super specialists um, within the hospitals, most of psychiatry um, is um, conducted out in the community with community psychiatric nurses and teams of outreach workers. Um, And then they use the inpatient services more for crisis management. So I'd really experienced a different kind of treatment model in England and really liked it. And um, But I was always attracted by the American vigor and had a love-hate relationship with the diagnostic categories that Americans would have, which would make them look very expert and polished, um, yet there was something always lacking in, the, in some of the um, ways that people would have to get squished into boxes in that way. Nevertheless, I came over to New York and did my residency at Cornell's Medical Center at New York Presbyterian Hospital and worked after my residency in an addictions fellowship, um, also at New York Hospital. And I always wanted to work in the, in the addictive field because I liked the neurobiology, um, I was very close to specializing in neurobiology and neurosciences. Um, I liked the um, I liked the um, much more authentic 
response that therapists tended to have with um, clients with addictive disorders. Um, it was a much more relaxed kind of setting. And I also, I think, really liked the peer involvement. Addictions was always a, um area where people with addictive disorders had um, gone into their recovery and really influenced and dominated the field a great deal. And I liked the, the um, mixing of professional input and peer input in that field. So I did an addiction fellowship. I worked in a variety of addiction settings, such as methadone maintenance programs and dual disorder recovery inpatient and outpatient settings um, and general psychiatry settings. And I did some three years of research in the neurobiology of addictive disorders at Rockefeller University. And then because I had three children in two years, um, it no longer fit in Manhattan. And so we left um, and went and ended up eventually in Boston, Massachusetts. And here I am. Um, and after a brief period of working at Cambridge Hospital, part of Harvard Medical System, um, I joined Westbridge for the last four years, and I felt extremely privileged to work in an organization which really upholds and seeks to um, put into practice a lot of the values which I've always found the most attractive in, in the mental health and addictions field, the, the focus on peer, on really listening to um, client perspectives, on peer involvement, on the multiplicity of views that are important to um, bring to bear in the care of somebody, and also the um, focus on the individual goals of the participant rather than some prescribed um, vision that the mental health professionals is the right path to recovery. So it's been a, um, a fun journey, and I feel like um, I'm very lucky to be where I am. Well, um, I, I did of that. I feel very lucky for this opportunity to be here at Westbridge as well. And one of the reasons that Mark and I wanted to do this show today is an experience that we had at a um, regional conference this summer in which there was a rather um, spirited debate about abstinence and recovery and what it meant to be in recovery um, amongst uh, a conference of addiction professionals. And I think um, one of the uh, unique things about Mark is that he brings a kind of a more of an international perspective to, the, to addiction treatment than certainly what I grew up in. I grew up in the kind of the whole Minnesota model of addiction treatment here in America. And um, and so I just, uh, for those of you who didn't read the e-card, what we really want to talk about today is that traditional approaches to treatment historically have kind of waited for people to be ready. Um, they may have belittled mental illness and failed to serve a large portion of people in need. You know, the concept of, well, I know when... Um, 20 years ago, it was like, well, you're not ready. Come back when you're ready. You know, when, when you're ready to put as much effort into your recovery as you were your addiction, then you're ready for treatment and we'll take care of you. The whole idea that um, people with mental illness are... Um, hello? 
Hello, you're still with us. Am I still with you? Okay, great. Yeah. I'm having some technical difficulty on our side, but the whole idea that men- mental illness is something that happens as a result of people's substance use, and you wait a year after somebody sobers up, and if they're still depressed, you give them an antidepressant. If they're still psychotic, then maybe there's a there's a thought disorder going on. And... Um, and the fact that we know from the stages of change model that 90% of treatment programs are, are really designed for 20% of the population who are in action and really ready to change their behavior. So um, what we really want to have a, a, a really uh, well thought out and lengthy discussion about is the whole idea of embracing models of stages of change, motivational interviewing, harm reduction, um, and to look at the traditionally traditionally peer-led recovery movement to really consider what constitutes recovery, whether abstinence is necessary, and how to consider mental illness in a person's recovery plan. So we want to spend the next hour kind of teasing this out and maybe um, having a bit of a debate and really encouraging people to call in and and to talk about this. Um, In addition to being a licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor. I'm also a registered nurse. So the whole idea of something being a chronic illness is mean, has a different meaning to me than I think it does to somebody who doesn't have a medical background who may be thinking of a chronic illness as something that you just treat and it goes away. Just by defining something as chronic, you know that it's going to last for a long time. It's going to be ongoing and there are going to be periods of symptoms and periods of remission. And so um, so from my perspective, looking at um, illness management is, and the disease of addiction is kind of contradictory to abstinence um, from that perspective. So, um, Mark, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting... Um, I think we should probably start with some provocation because otherwise we won't get people calling in. And we do want to be talking in this show about harm reduction and about um, the cha- and about challenging the idea that abstinence is the only um, reasonable outcome and that it's up to the patient, the client, um, to um, be ready to quit um, before you can really do much. And um, our work speaks daily to the fact that that's just not the case, that um, while abstinence can be a um, wonderful state to attain, um, the journey to it um, and the stages that people have, to have a, go through as they gradually move toward maybe never even attaining um, complete abstinence um, are places where um, life really begins to blossom and the therapist and the client can work together very thoughtfully um, and the family um, to improve things. And harm reduction, which, is, um, which are two dirty words um, in much of America still, um, was a central tenet of European approaches to addiction. So... Harm reduction covers an enormous territory. It covers um, the provision of needles to people um, using heroin intravenously. It might apply to safe injection sites or teaching people how to manage overdoses. Um, Or it might include 
um, policy measures to um, educate people about safer drinking methods so that they're not driving drunk. Um, they might still be drinking, but they might be reducing um, their... They might not be driving. They might be handling... And we'll be right back right. after this commercial. Um, please join us. Okay, good. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Queenie's Happy Hour is the place for fun every Monday night after work. Pull up a bar stool and let your favorite bartender mix up some life, laughter, and learning. Queenie, also known as Nancy Wagierski, is a certified facilitator of the Law of Attraction and is here to start your week with a smile and education about making the Law of Attraction work for you. Pour yourself an after-work martini and join us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for Queenie's Happy Hour on the Voice America Business Channel. Ready to lift your spirit? Join Karen Tatanich every week for Spirit Connections. Karen will share with you the power of energy work. It can get you through the good times and the tough times. Karen will bring together stories of hope and good news based on her work with all aspects of energy. There are people and companies out there that are bringing joy to our planet. You'll learn about the power of spirit at home, at work, and at play. Spirit Connections is broadcast live Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave Network. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host, and our guest today is Dr. Mark Green, who is the medical director of Westbridge, um, which happens to be the organization I work for as well. And what we're really trying to do today, Mark and I, is to really try to stimulate people's um, thoughts on, on recovery, on abstinence, on what it means to have a chronic illness and, and an addiction. And so we want to throw out some ideas. We would love to get some folks to call us to agree with us or disagree with us because we, you know, 
I think both Mark and I really feel strongly that this is an area that there's just been kind of a knee-jerk reaction to this is what it means if you have an addiction to be in recovery. This is what it means if you have a mental illness to be in recovery. And our experience has been, as I think Mark said in the last segment, that the journey to abstinence is almost as important, if not more important, than the abstinence itself. And, And if we look at how the addiction profession currently has really been driven by the consumer, um, there's been a wealth of great information that has come to us as a result of people's personal experiences and that early on in the addiction treatment um, profession, and it wasn't quite a profession then, you had Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob. There was a hospital that they utilized in, in um, Akron. There was also a hospital in New York that they utilized. So the marriage between... Um, the medical community and the consumer-driven self-help community was was made early on and has continued to kind of wax and wane over the last 60 years. And that um, there's been kind of a love-hate relationship between this is what you need to do to be sober and this is what you need to do to manage your illness. And um, and it goes without saying that oftentimes the medical community has been woefully misinformed about addiction. But for those people that have taken the, the time to become informed about addiction, um, those really aren't the folks that we're talking about at this yeah. point. I mean, I think it's fair to say that obvi- it's obvious to say if you've attained abstinence, great, you're going to be doing better. And um, for those who have managed to achieve abstinence from their drugs or alcohol, uh, they're going to feel a lot, lot better and begin to rebuild relationships and different struggles in their life. Um, The difficulty arises with with the vast majority of people who um, haven't reached that point of being able or willing to um, commit to abstinence. And that might be because of the nature of their addictive disorder. It might be because of presence of psychiatric illness. It might just be that they're not ready to make that commitment. And what do you do if the dominant um, treatment approach um, says, well, you're not really in recovery? And I think, you know, I've got, I mean, there's someone that um, I know well who, um, you know, he, he was uh, addicted to heroin for many years. Um, and there weren't many options out there. There was uh, methadone maintenance programs, and there were 12-step-based programs. And he really, really wanted um, the community of um, people working towards their recovery that that were residing in the 12-step world. Um, and he really was interested and intrigued by the spiritual aspects of that program. But he could not go um, there. He felt, he felt he couldn't go there and talk about um, being on methadone. Um, and he, and there, when he did bring it up with people, he would get um, a response which really mirrored his internal sense of shame at being addicted to drugs and being on methadone, you know, which led him to shy away from reaching out to those kind of communities. Um, and it took him many, many years to try to navigate that. Um, and that's um, an unfortunate clash, you know, that occurs when people, particularly around um, opiate 
replacement therapies such as suboxone or methadone, where there's um, a hu- uh, marked stabilization of life and people really feel very deeply involved in recovery. And all aspects of their life um, might be um, better. They might be working, getting on with their family, no crime, you know, really living healthily, and yet they need to take a medication on a daily basis, which the treatment models of 12-step can feel um, invalidate their recovery or that their recovery has not started. Um, and one of the difficulties is that there's a clash there. We're using recovery, the word recovery, in two different ways. Um, I think that um, what, what kind of ways do you, have you heard this? Because I think that's the emotional, emotional issue that really upsets people at conferences that we've spoken about when we talk about whether people are in recovery or not. Well, and I think the whole concept that, um, and what I've heard over and over again, that abstinence is what defines what someone is in recovery, the total um, freedom from any type of mood-altering substance. So... Um, if you take that to the most extreme, you break your leg skiing this week, you've got 10 years in recovery, and they give you um, painkillers so they can set your leg, there are people who may say, well, okay, you've just relapsed, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Or you get the people who are, um, as you said, that are on opiate replacement therapy, whether they're using methadone or spoxone, and it's perceived as a crutch. So, as you said earlier, whatever the job they have, the fact that they're um, having significant um, healthy relationships with their family and friends, they're engaged in community activities, they're no longer drug-seeking, um, you know, their their bodies have had a chance to kind of um, uh, retool, that all that's negated by the fact that they're on an opiate replacement therapy, which, you know, if they were diabetic and taking insulin, no one would think twice about that. Right, right. You'd hope not. You know, and I think that that's, um, I think that those attitudes are changing. You still hear it. You still hear this purist um, approach. And I think it's fine for the individual um, person considering sponsoring someone in in 12-step recovery to, to say, you know, I just prefer to work with someone who's not using um, opioid placement therapies or has really, is really committed to abstinence. You know, that's a personal choice. No one's, there's no resume they have to fulfill. Um, but the downside is that it really changes the tenor of the recovery community, and um, people can feel ashamed and hurt and rejected um, by the prevailing atmosphere um, that abstinence is the only way. It can really, I think, set people back. Well, and I know initially um, here in New Hampshire when um, when the treatment of co-occurring disorders was first taking off, people would go to, an, to a self-help meeting and they were told not to talk about their mental illness, that that wasn't what that self-help group was for. And, you know, if you go to a meeting today, you will hear somebody talk about, well, you know, I've been depressed since my... my uh, father passed away or, you know, I've just realized that I've had, you know, a bipolar disorder so that there's more tolerance for some of of those other kind of brain disorders oozing in. Although we've also had recently in one meeting where someone has said um, point blank to some of our participants, don't talk about your mental illness, that doesn't belong here. So, you know, it's... 
there, there's no kind of self-monitoring. Pretty much you can say whatever you want when you go to a self-help meeting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, which is fine. Um, I, I think there's, it, it's, but people fail to realize the impact that they can have, um, you know, the generation of shame and the way people can really withdraw um, when they hear something like that. On the other hand, I think it can be very motivating sometimes <clears throat> to, for someone to hear, you know, you're doing great, it's okay, but you're not really getting fully deeply into this. You're not, um, you're holding back, you know. To, I think some people experience you're not really in recovery um, as a um, as a kickstart and, a, and a, a challenge and makes people think, well, okay, what, what do I have to do? What, what is, um, what is this recovery thing all about? You know, and it pushes people into more um, review of their personality and um, the things that they've done. But but that's a very fine line, and I think often it can really upset people and um, be rejecting. I think I think that the recovery community has been so influenced by the widening of um, opportunities for people in recovery as well. I mean, there's a lot more. You hear a lot more, I think, about smart recovery and rational recovery and um, cognitive behavioral approaches and, of course, powerfully, motivational interviewing. You know, when I was doing my training, I would be taught by people who would say, well, come back when you're ready and be priding themselves on this kind of shaming approach. And then start, I started hearing more about motivational interviewing, and it seems so obvious. And now it, it feels so obvious. You, you be, you're respectful. You're listening to why people are doing the things that they're doing. You're trying to be supportive of changes in, um, in their behaviors, which will make them feel more contented with themselves and living their value-based life. It seems so obvious, but that permeated um, the recovery world so completely over the last 10 years. And I think that has affected the way people will talk about come back when you're ready. There's, they might not know why, but people, I, I hope, are a little bit more um, careful about saying such things. Well, and, you know, I think it, it also speaks to, you know, here we're talking about how a self-help um, groups define recovery, which, which I think in some ways the addiction profession has been very lazy because we haven't defined recovery from, from, a, from, from a disease model, if you will. And I know that the, the disease model doesn't fly for a lot of people, but, you know, if we're saying that this is a brain disease, if the AMA is saying that this is, is a disease, then we need to, as a profession, start looking at this independent of what self-help uh, movement is um, defining as recovery. And we'll be right back. Um, call us if you have any questions or comments, and we'll go to commercial and then come back. Okay. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemont Williams with co-host Jacob Greer. Each week, join Lemont and Jacob as they take callers, discuss the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sit down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune into the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, our guest today is Dr. Mark Green, the medical director for Westbridge, and I'm Mary Woods, your host. And Mark and I are discussing today the whole concept of recovery and sobriety and um, how the debate still continues about when, when, when are you in recovery. And, you know, the first part of our show, we've talked a lot about self-help and self-help perception of recovery, which I think is almost diagnostic in and of itself because, if we're if we're trying to provide treatment for people, then we need as treatment professionals to really be able to define from a treatment perspective what is recovery. I think that the self help movement has great history. They have um, they have great outcomes for self help, but for treatment, treatment is not self help, and self help is not treatment. So I we. Mark and I would like to spend the rest of the, the show just talking about it from a treatment perspective. And I know from, 
from my perspective, treat, recovery is a process. I mean, people have have multiple challenges when they have um, an addictive disorder, whether it's abuse or dependence or misuse. And um, it's not an event. Recovery isn't an event. And mm-hmm. and with any chronic illness, it's a process. So mm-hmm. from my perspective, that's kind of like where I would like to start in terms of looking at treatment, the definition of recovery from a treatment perspective. And so, Mark, what's your perspective? Well, I think you're right. I, it's a... It's Recovery is not a point of enlightenment, you know. So it's it's people living um, healthier, more fulfilled lives, um, which are defined personally. So um, people have a certain set of values which they feel um, better when they're living by those values, and as people as people um, become ill from psychiatric or addictive disorders, they really um, let those fall by the wayside more. Family, work, consideration, generosity, um, balance um, are really um, sacrificed um, to a repetitive stereotype behavior, whether that's um, driven by psychiatric symptoms or the addictive drive. And... Um, recovery feels to me to be the, the process of um, re-identifying those value goals and working towards them um, any way you can. And, and it often starts with just having enough self-respect and hope to begin to reduce the harm that your behaviors are doing to yourself. Um, so that might be in early phases um, reducing the frequency and intensity of your drug and alcohol use or the, the um, risks that you're incurring when, you're, when you are using. So it might be a change of route of administration. All of these feel like they're on the, in the process of recovery. So as you say, it's not a place, ah, now I am recovered. Um, and people don't talk about I am recovered. People talk about um, the daily struggles and um, thoughtfulness and investment that they need to put in in an ongoing way as they move forward in their lives. None of us have ever done. Um, and and yet, I think that... Um, so, I think the field has really been challenged in a way um, to reconceptualize um, this idea of re- recovery. And, and certainly in the psychiatric world, too, um, the the idea, and this has been a, a welcome contribution from the from peers with psychiatric illness, I think, um, the idea that you are recovering from your mental illness in an ongoing way um, and learning new coping strategies and learning new ways of managing stress um, and keeping yourself out of the hospital, you know, it's an unfolding process towards wellness. And... Um, that's the way I think of it for um, addictive disorders too. Um, it, for, it's challenging, I think, when you're talking to perhaps old-timers who have been really schooled in 12-step philosophies only because um, I can conceive of someone beginning their recovery journey even if they're continuing to use fairly actively. Um, but their engagement in the process and in the alliance with the treatment team and um, I suppose the infusion of hope that there's a better way that they might want to be living, a better way for themselves that they want to, that might want to be 
um, living. You know, that feels to me to be on the recovery process, journey, on the recovery journey. Well, and I think you're absolutely right. I know you and I both have had experiences with just that kind of phenomenon here at Westbridge where mm-hmm. people come in and, um, you know, uh, they're saying, you know, I, I want to go to school, but I want to continue to smoke pot, and um, I just want my parents off my back. And, uh, you know, the fact that they want to go to school may be the thing that we're is is why they're coming here. They're not coming because they want to be in recovery. They're coming because they want their parents off their back or they want to go to school. And that doesn't diminish their effort any more than someone who announces that they want to be, you know, alcohol and drug free. So um, I, I think that, you know, I think as treatment providers, we need to understand that, that this is more of a, there's no absolutes here and that there's a lot of gray and that, um and to and to be able to, to to stand in front of people and say, well, you know, unless you're totally absent, you're not in recovery. I know people who don't drink anymore or don't use um, other drugs of choice anymore. They're miserable. They're nasty. Um, you don't want to be around them. And I and I walk away thinking, like, maybe they should just take a drink. Maybe that if they took a drink, maybe then recovery would happen for them. So I, I don't. I think that's a whole artificial thing that just because you've, you're not taking alcohol, you're not ingesting any other drugs, that by some chance you're in recovery, that's not true either. Right, okay, yeah, so it goes both ways. You can be, you can be really be stymied in your life and stuck, even if you've um, stopped using drugs and alcohol. Um, and um, so, yeah, they, there's not a one-on-one relationship there. Yeah, so... We can think of uh, um, particular examples. We've, we've got so many that we're lucky to see. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking of a um, a young man who came to us who um, was using opiates intravenously at the time and um, had no desire to stop and um, was sick and tired of um, the drug use but had really... Um, come on on the um, because of legal issues and problems with his family and wanted to you know we helped him appreciate some of the goals that he might have whether that was school um, or a relationship and in the course of really striving towards that the the problems that the drug were po- drugs were posing in his life came sharp into focus and he felt like he had a collaborative team with him who were interested in his well-being and his goals um which he which could then help him um make some healthier choices about his drug use and these are day-to-day stories that we we are lucky to to share in um but often these um our participants have no desire to stop drinking, no desire to stop using drugs. Um, they just their desire is, I want to feel better and I want to be going somewhere different in my life. And this is this is really um, some of the central tenets of motivational motivational interviewing, as you help people look at the advantages of their behaviours, the disadvantages of their behaviours, and the potential disadvantages of them changing their behaviours, really collaboratively and respectfully helping them tease out what um, what a behaviour change could mean in their life. Um, but putting the lived, the valued, living their values before the holy grail of abstinence. Um, and... Um, 
Yeah, I think that this 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 is the uh, the nub of the the, the nub of the, the philosophical nub of what we do day to day, and seems to be increasingly successful, um, not just for our program, but nationally and internationally. This is these approaches um, which embody harm reduction and a focus on recovery as lived values um, really does seem to be making profound difference um, to to the uh, outcomes these days. Well, and it's so important to have people engaged in treatment because treatment can't work if people aren't engaged in it. And if we conceptualize treatment as only being an abstinence-based um, interventions, mm. then we're missing like 80% of the folks out there who need treatment. So I think that that's the other important thing to remember is that um, harm reduction has such a, a stigma and, and loaded connotation in America, but harm reduction is what public health has always been about. Harm reduction is what, um, you know, primary care physicians use with people who have heart disease, diabetes, um, who are, have lung disease. You want to no. say something? Do you want to say something more about that? Well, yeah. Why don't you say something more about that? All right then. So you know, if someone, if a physician, um, if someone comes to the office uh, with diabetes, um, I won't turn them away if they're eating some candy and say, "Well, come back when you stopped eating candy, and I'll give you some insulin, and we'll see what we can do." Um, I'll sit down with them, talk to them about the challenges that they're facing in their life. Um, some of the desire that they have to still eat candy and how difficult that must be when they know the harm it must be doing um, after you know, and then they, they might be heading for an amputation and the conflict that that causes inside them and really try to support them making some healthier changes. Most, many, uh, many people with diabetes or, um, will never make those choices. Many people with um, hypertension will never stop using salt. Um, yet, this is the bulk of what we do in medical practice. We work with people towards, um, towards in the process of making some healthier choices in their lives. And as well, and this is particularly important for us in working with people with co-occurring psychiatric disorders, in understanding with them why um, the drugs and alcohol um, feel helpful to them. So, so many people have um, trauma histories or psychotic symptoms or other anxiety issues, um, which undoubtedly in some cases may have arisen during the course or because of or, or aided and abetted by their drug use. But nevertheless, at this point, um, are serving as motivators for them to try and escape and soothe some of the pain that they experience. And as treatment professionals, we have to have a forum which is open to allow people to discuss those painful experiences and thoughts. And we'll be right back after our last commercial for the, our final segment of our show today. Okay, good. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you lack energy and enthusiasm? Do you really want to change your thoughts and feelings? Can you really stay sane when your life isn't? Of course you can. Just by listening to Stay Sane Now each week with Claudine Strzok and co-host Wesley Stoller. You'll have fun and learn how to make each new day the best day of your life. Every show is designed to energize and get you started off on the next week. Stay Sane Now is broadcast live Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on 7th Wave Network. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk network Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Are you destined to be an everyday change agent in your organization, your relationships, your community? Learn how to become one when you tune in to The Change Agent on the Voice America Variety Channel. Justin A. Flunder, the chief change agent leader of the Flundonian Group, will help you examine every aspect of your personal and professional life. By observing your own thoughts, words, and actions, you will become the everyday leader that you are meant to be. The Change Agent airs live Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemont Williams with co-host Jacob Greer. Each week, join Lemont and Jacob as they take callers, discuss the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sit down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is our last segment of One Hour at a Time. Um, and our guest today is Dr. Mark Green, who's the medical director for Westbridge. And we were talking about, um, for this whole hour, is the whole notion of recovery and abstinence. And 
um, what makes sense from a treatment perspective when defining recovery. And um, I think what Mark and I both believe is that, you know, recovery is a process, and it begins when somebody starts to think differently about their substance use and or their mental illness. And um, I know that... Mark has a couple examples of how this approach has benefited um, people that have, that have come through his practice. So, Mark, do you want to share with us? Yeah, I would. First of all, let me just give my email um, because um, you know, Mary and I talk a fair bit, and um, but I don't get challenged enough, and I like it when I'm challenged on these issues because I learn a lot. Um, so if anybody has um, any thoughts, to, or questions about Westbridge or thoughts about this topic or other topics, feel free to email me, and that's at mgreen, for M for Mark, green, at westbridge.org. There's no, so M-G-R-E-E-N at westbridge.org. Um, and actually the westbridge.org site has a number of white papers and discussion um, places where you can sort of read a bit more about this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we've, we've worked with some people for many, many years while they've continued to use, um, and um, they have been through multiple treatments in the past, um, getting kicked out because they um, smoked a joint or had some um, something to drink, and then... Um, so one person who's now 27 or so, um, you know, from his early adolescence was in and out of treatment programs, um, hearing that he needed to be abstinent and wasn't serious about his recovery. And um, he was a very private um, and scared person who'd had some very difficult experiences in his earlier life, um, which contributed heavily to his drinking. And life without... Um, drugs and alcohol was terrifying for him. He wasn't able to sleep, um, and he wasn't able to speak with someone about those fears because they were just too terrifying. Um, and he'd been in in treatment for eight years, um, on and off, being passing from one treatment program, which kicked him out to the next one. Um, and in between, had long periods of devastating drug use, um, and um, delay in all schooling, uh, uh, the classic problems with his family, um, legal issues. And over the time with us, he worked with us for three or four years, um, he continued to use drugs and alcohol, including heroin, cocaine, um, benzodiazepines, and obviously we wanted him to be reducing that use. And he knew that, and we cared, but he learned that we 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 were wanting him to reduce use because we wanted him to live and because we wanted him to um, realize the hope that we saw um, in, as an intelligent, thoughtful, um, considerate young man. Over time, he's been able to make those choices and get longer and longer periods of sobriety. This is not someone who could um, moderate their drug use. Um, he, it was all or nothing for him. So moderate, moderation management approaches were not approaches which um, I would advocate for him as an end point, but certainly enabled him to come to realize that um, he was not able to control his use. So multiple times we said, okay, if you want to try to reduce your drug use, let's 
count the drinks together. Let's try try and limit the number of times you're using and limit the um, dangerousness that you're using. So do you have clean needles, etc.? Do you know how to take care of your um, intravenous wounds from uh, from um, injections? Um, and he's now made some decisions to remain abstinent. Um, he's enrolled in courses, he's living independently, and he's talking more and more about some of the early traumatic experiences that he had. But we, the, the magic for him was that he engaged and stayed in treatment because he was in a understanding setting which really respected his independence, um, his struggle to articulate his goals, um, and um, in a refusal to um, reject him because of behaviors which were harmful to himself. Um, we also work a lot with people with, uh, um, who are in college and experiencing difficulties with the drug and alcohol use or first onset um, uh, or, uh, or early in the course of their psychiatric disorders um, who are attempting to get back to school. And that group is, um, has been very difficult to engage in traditional addictions programs because they're very far from any commitment to not drinking. So the concept of problematic drinking um, has really enabled treat treatment providers to reach out to that group in a more collaborative, respectful fashion. Um, and it was up to the treatment professional to be flexible in the conceptualization of the goals. If you, if you, while colleges said abstinence is the only way to deal with drinking, um, outcomes remained very poor, and College drinking obviously remains a considerable um, problem nationally, but at last people are thinking a little bit more out of the box um, as they consider what recovery might be um, rather than sticking to the idea that it's just abstinence. So you've probably also got other um, examples that you can think of. Is, uh, well, well, I do, but um, our show is fast coming to a close. And I would just like to invite anyone who's listening to contact Mark or myself, mwoods at westbridge.org, to continue this discussion because um, I think all of us here at Westbridge believe very passionately that recovery is a process and that there shouldn't be any predetermined um, imposed beliefs on folks in terms of what recovery is going to mean for them. Yeah. So have a great week, everyone. Um, we'll, Mark will be on next week talking with the folks who, um, are, who have written a manual on um, the 12 steps. So we're going to go full circle. Have a good week, everybody. Okay. Bye, Mary. Thanks. Bye. Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com.
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 